it's been neat because he's been able to learn some organization skills and so some things that are beyond just the writing. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I am just learning more and more about the tens of thousands of listeners of our podcast, which is very intimidating to me sometimes, that are listening to us here in the United States, but also around the world. And it seems like that is continuing to grow when we do our online conferences. We have people from, you know, a dozen or more countries registering for our different events. And it literally just occurred to me. 10 minutes ago, one of the reasons I think this is happening is there's so many more YouTubers who are talking about what we do here at IEW and their message is crossing international boundaries. YouTubers and podcasters and bloggers. Right. And it's kind of like um, a worldwide discussion. Yes. Is starting to occur. Yes. And uh, yeah, I've wondered how, how is it that someone in Pakistan, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. ends up watching our conference and then, you know, emailing in like, how did you even hear about this? <laughs> we certainly don't spend any effort marketing in Pakistan. No, we don't. But I wonder if the likes of Brandy Farrell, who is our guest today on our podcast, one of our IEW affiliates. Brandy, maybe it was you who reached out to Pakistan and so that we had guests internationally. Well, welcome to our podcast, Brandy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, I know you pretty well because we've met up almost every year for many years until we kind of got derailed for a couple there. Tell us then about uh, you and your family, how you started to homeschool, how you became someone who wanted to share homeschooling ideas through various media with other people, and how you see that IEW fits in with your approach or philosophy of homeschooling. Okay, well, our family, we have four boys. Our oldest graduated last year. Our youngest is seven. And we started homeschooling. Our, our oldest actually went to public school when he was in kindergarten. And he struggled a lot with uh, writing. <laughs> uh, they were having him <laughs> do some creative writing in kindergarten. Uh, and actually, we lived in Houston at the time. And, and I just remember specifically one prompt he was asked to write about. And it was about penguins. Well, in Houston, there's not a lot of penguins, <laughs> and so his experience with penguins was pretty pretty limited, so he got really frustrated, and he was a, an advanced reader at the time, and he was getting frustrated because he could recognize he was spelling things wrong, but he couldn't figure out how he was supposed to spell them, because he was trying to match 
his reading level, his writing level to his reading level. It just wasn't working mm. out. So anyways, we just had this experience. And at the time, I was an engineer working down there. My husband was the stay-at-home dad. And that's when we started thinking about, well, what are we going to do? And that's about the time our third son was born. We were living down there. And it kind of changed my heart in the process of having uh, the third boy and the fact that we were struggling with public school situation. And so I left my job and my husband went to work because he wasn't about to homeschool. (laughs) But it was funny because we actually, we were sitting there one day and I said, you know, I'm thinking about homeschool. And he said, I'm thinking about that too. And I just thought that was really neat because we both were thinking about it at the same time, felt called to do that at the same time. And it was just really great. So anyways, we started homeschooling in 2009 and uh, and the rest is history. I guess you could say we were actually homeschooling from birth because we always educate our children at home regardless, but actually it was more intentional at that point. And um, so about a few years later, my husband was working offshore on a drill ship. Actually, he was rotating offshore to different areas of the world at the time. And I started a website just so that he could know what was going on in our lives while he was away because he's working a month on and a month off. Oh, and how so, sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And so I'd take the pictures of us working on our little activities and, and, and describe what we were doing. And so that is how our website started. And then over time, I started sharing things that we were doing. And because of my background in engineering, I was kind of a project planner just by nature. And so I started writing lesson plans and sharing those. And and so that's kind of how it all started. And uh, we started our website back in 2011, I believe. And that's half a hundred acre wood. So, of course, that begs the question, Brandy. That is a, a reference to Winnie the Pooh, but half a hundred acre wood. Tell us why you chose that name. I love it. It's it's very charming. Uh, well, yes, Winnie the Pooh, he's a great philosopher. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> and our kids, we enjoyed Winnie the Pooh. We moved, when we moved from Houston to Tennessee, we found about 50 acres. Where we live on 56 acres. And at the time, it was called Harmony Hills. And we kept thinking, we've got three boys. There's not a lot of peaceful... <laughs> our- situation here and so we just didn't think it was the right name and as we thought about it it just it was funny because there's a lot of different places around our property that we just kind of nicknamed different things from different literature and that so that became the name of our of our home is half a hundred acre wood and I really don't know except for the fact that you know we love Winnie the Pooh and um and literature in general and you're on half of a hundred acres how old are your boys now Steven, our, our oldest, is 18. He is in his freshman year of college, and our youngest is seven. And then we have two other teenagers, so we have a, a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. All right. Well, the the days are long, but the years are fast. They eh? are. I'm a boy mom, too, Brandy. I have three three sons. Special place in heaven for us, I think, boy moms. Yes. 
<laughs> I love it. But there's it. another podcast about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Have you uh, have you ever heard my talk on teaching boys and other children who would rather be making forts all day? Funny you mention that because the way that we came across um, IEW, actually there was a homeschool group we were participating in, and they were doing a teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar. So I got my little seminar book, and I'm like, okay, I need help because I don't know how many more times I can write about penguins. <laughs> so <laughs> we, uh, we, went, we went to that, and when you mentioned uh, you have this thing that you talk about where you've got the girl, you use like a stereotypical analogy, and you talk about a girl that writes and writes and writes, and a boy that typically, you know, can't move a pen or pencil across the page type of thing. And I thought, that is my son! And so our oldest <laughs> did not like writing whatsoever, and I tried to convince him in all kinds of ways to write. I, I had him writing down monster truck names and uh, Thomas the Tank Engine names, you know, I mean, anything nice. to get him to write. And so whenever I came across the, it, well, whenever... I heard you in that seminar, and you broke it down, and you made it okay. That was just so comforting. And mm. then beyond that, later on, I came across your teaching, um, the podcast that you just told me about, the forts all day, um, and also your reading list for boys that would rather build forts all day. And so mm. anyways, those were um, some great uh, encouragements for me. Good. Well, so glad to hear that. So you have a niche, you have a bit of a following, and how would you describe in general the people that are drawn to visit your website again and again? Are they mostly new homeschoolers looking for ideas? Are they mostly um, pretty well in the trenches for years and looking for just kind of ideas to keep going emotional support, community, or or do you have people who are just like, I don't even think I want to do this crazy idea of homeschooling, but it looks okay from her pictures and her stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we have, uh, actually we have a lot of different types of people that come to our website. A lot of people know about it from classical education background, and it's usually word of mouth that uh, goes out to people about our website from the resources that we provide. And we have two curriculum lines that we offer, and one of them is missions-focused curriculum, and the other one is um, called Script and Scribe. It's handwriting curriculum, and it incorporates like poetry and picture study and those types of things. So anyways, a lot of people come to our website because they're interested in missions-focused curriculum or they hear about how cursive can help a student who is struggling with uh, being able to write, just like moving that pen or pencil across the page. And a lot of people, I would say the majority of the people that come to our website are probably just maybe a year or two in to homeschooling. Um, occasionally mm -hmm. we have people, con uh, have people contact me that are totally new and they're just wondering how how to do this, and so I, I like to, to help people in any way that I can as we're going through and answering their questions and that type of thing. I'm very curious about a missions-based curriculum. I've been thinking a lot myself recently about how children today, children born today, we'll put it that way, uh, have been born into, I think, a society that is much more hostile to 
faith in general, traditional Judeo-Christian morals more specifically, and very, very allergic to people who want to evangelize. And this is kind of new for all of us. It, It wasn't that way even 15, 20 years ago. So there's this kind of anti-faith anger that is boiling up in various places. And I think about, you know, how are our, you know, I I think about my grandchildren because they're all single digits young right now. But what is the world, what is the climate going to be when they're adults in 20 years? And how are they going to remain strong in faith and determination and vision when pretty much the whole world is just going to scream, you're stupid and you're evil. Do you think about that? Yes, I do. So it's interesting because Elizabeth Elliot, she stated in um, one of the biographies that she wrote, actually she wrote a biography of Amy Carmichael, and who is another missionary. So it's a missionary writing a mi- another a biography of another missionary. But um, she said, we read biographies to get out of our skin or to get out of our situation and into another skin. And then she said, the Christian life comes down to two simple things, trust and obedience. What does that mean exactly? We could hold a seminar and talk about it. Visual aids are better. Look at a life. And so that's kind of, I think about um, how there's this cloud of witnesses, and I kind of see that as something that's referred to in Hebrews 12, but I see that as stretching across time and um, space. And there's, there are people that have gone through different struggles all through uh, the Christian faith. But um, even aside from that, just normal everyday, I mean, like we've had all kinds of things that we've had to face regardless of what our faith is. And so uh, it was really interesting because several years ago I came across some missionary biographies And it was amazing to me because these people, they were able to be steadfast and do such amazing things using the gifts that they had, the talents that they had, and how they were able to just continue to remain and do the task that was pretty much assigned to them or what they felt was assigned to them. And they were faithful through that. And I think faithfulness is is really a key Like whenever we're looking at somebody's life, it's so much easier to look at what faithfulness is when you can see it played out in somebody's life. Yeah, and we we can see that through all of history and not even limited to, you know, particular Christian missionary efforts. You know, like George Washington comes to mind when you say something like trust and obedience, you know, he had rules of life that he established for himself at a young age and lived by those rules. So there was this understanding that 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 makes you stronger. And I think so many young people today are, you know, thinking, well, rules are going to interfere with you becoming who you want to be. Whereas really it's the rules that help you define who you want to be. So tell us just a few of your favorite recommendations for biographies, because I also feel 
that uh, reading biographies to children is, number one, the best way to introduce them to a particular time and place of history. And number two, it helps them have this kind of understanding, even affinity for someone who experienced uh, hardship or, or difficulty. So I'm sure you've got your favorites. Maybe you could limit us, li- limit yourself to you know four or five, so we don't overwhelm anybody. And then how does that fit in with like curriculum? And I do want to save some time to talk about handwriting. So I'd say some of my favorites would be Brother Andrew's God Smuggler. Um, mm-hmm. That one's fantastic. They have a young reader's edition available. So if you're not used to reading aloud or if you have a younger child, uh, you can select by younger child. I just mean um, this is not like a kid's picture book or anything. It's it would be something that maybe a fourth through seventh grader or something might read. But the God Smuggler, um, the regular edition is for adults. And I've actually read that one out loud to our whole family. And we just really enjoyed it. Um, and then some of my favorite, now we use a lot of uh, YWAM books. And mm-hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. that's Youth with a Mission. And um, so a few of those, that would be uh, Gladys Aylward, who was on mission to China. But hers, uh, her story is pretty neat because she was a, I guess what you would consider a failure. She failed school. She couldn't get um, sponsored or anything. And so she just decided to take off on her own. And so she went across Russia during uh, the time of communism, like um, whenever things were pretty rough. And she ended up in China during um, World War II. So she was uh, helping children across the mountains and stuff. So it's just um, a, a beautiful picture. So Gladys Aylward and I'd say uh, Richard Wormbrand is another one. And mm. uh, Oh, you know, um, The Voice of the Martyrs just released a movie, Sabina. Yes, yes. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I did this weekend. I, I didn't expect much, you know, when you get some kind of, I don't know, fringe group saying we're producing a movie, but it was so professional. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my wife didn't want to watch it because she doesn't like intense scenes. And so she was afraid it was going to be like torture and stuff. But it was really almost like a love story. Yeah. And uh, I remember reading Tortured for Christ as a teenager uh, and, and having kind of that amazing first experience of someone who would willingly go into a horrible situation thinking, wow, why, how? what and um so i i would uh recommend that movie for everyone sabina so yeah that's it's a worm brand's amazing story continue on um and and i'll just mention with sabina she that particular movie goes into just the nazi years so they were under nazi regime and then they were under communist regime and so um it's the the story of tortured for christ it talks about kind of overall, but then it goes into um, when he was under the Russian communism. And so anyways, uh, or Soviet com- communism. So uh, I, I thought it was really interesting because we got to the end of Sabina and we're like, but there's more to the story. But then I realized that the subtitle is the Nazi years. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there were a lot of things that happened Maybe, after maybe that. they'll make another one. I, I hope so. That would be great. It's very inspiring. And then, um, let's see, Eric Little, who was an Olympic athlete, mm-hmm. and he also went to China. Um, so he gave up his fame 
and everything and went over there and then he used his gifts with running to to minister to people over there and um, I'd say probably Paul Brand is another very favorite of mine because he, he also, Paul Brand is, you, you can find biographies about him, but you can also, he wrote uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and in his image, there's, uh, he was a doctor, and he actually uh, ended up as a medical missionary in India, but the thing that was interesting, his family was, or his parents were medical missionaries, and he claimed he would never be one. But then eventually, through uh, all the circumstances he faced, he ended up learning how to restructure hands during World War II. He was, he was working with pilots who had their hands messed up and that type of thing because of a design flaw in the, in the planes mm. that they were flying. And so then he used that knowledge, and he noticed that the leprosy patients in India no longer had use of their hands. And so he actually learned how to rewire their hands in order for them to regain control and be able to make a living, like to do things for themselves. So it was it's just really interesting because if you're fascinated with medical things, uh, it goes into a lot of detail. It's very fascinating. So those are just a wow. few, but I've got a ton of them. I really have enjoyed. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to refer people to this because I think it's more timely now than ever that we help our children have the vision that it's not only okay, but it is a blessing to enter into danger or to suffer for their faith. And that's just a really hard concept because the modern world is essentially trying to teach all young people the most, the two most important things are security and comfort. And so when you read of people who give up intentionally both security and comfort, that it just touches on such a real part of what it means to be a human in the noble sense of the word. So, okay, we, we've got to shift over because I'll bet that you and I have some very similar ideas about handwriting. So while most of the world is careening towards uh, screens, uh, trying to get, you know, iPads and tablets into first grade classrooms, thinking this is somehow going to improve education. Uh, the research I've found is almost the opposite, that the, the more technology you push, the lower the basic skills of reading and writing and math calculation, particularly in the elementary, primary and elementary grades. So what inspired you to promote handwriting and how do you teach it? Well, so let's see. Okay, we were going through, we ended up with the struggles with our oldest son. And I, I, I do want to say this about him, that through this whole easy plus one method, we did that all the way through elementary and nice. middle school and high school. And now he writes papers better than a lot of his college professors. So I just want to <laughs> say that, like, if anybody is in that situation where, like, I can barely get him to write one word, it'll come. You're just consistent and just uh, and just keep encouraging them, but don't go too fast and don't expect too too much too early on. It is uh, really amazing to see how that can unfold, and and it's thanks to like we've used all kinds of IAW curriculum, which hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about in a minute. But um, anyways, uh, I did want to say so. Our second son, he came up, 
And he was struggling. Um, actually, when we got to the point, he was trying to write, uh, he's a left-handed. He didn't have as many struggles even as a left-handed writer as our oldest did. But um, he still struggled. He At that point, I was teaching both print and cursive and kind of the traditional method, starting with print, moving to cursive whenever they get to second or third grade. And so I had him really drilling that, but he really struggled. There weren't a lot of options out there that taught them how to go from individual letters to connecting those together into words and sentences. And so I ended up, that was the first thing that I put together. It's called the letter connector. And I ended up making a book for him that helped gradually pull him through all those different connections and then into the tricky letter connections and that type of thing. And so that was my first in. And then the third son came along. And that at that time, I found out that up until 1921, cursive was taught first before mm. print handwrite, manuscript handwriting. And um, a teacher came in and decided she, she thought it would be a beneficial to students and help them if they learned to write in print first. Well, she ended up, I, I guess the common curriculum companies or the educational gurus of the time came across this and they decided to develop the curriculum for print handwriting. Well, by two or three years into it, she said, never mind, it wasn't a good idea, let's go back to cursive, but by that time the curriculum has shifted. So, wow, I did never know that story. Yes, and so, and it was because I had come across this idea that, I mean, it just seemed kind of ludicrous to me to start with cursive first because it was so different from what I was taught. But I thought, you know what? With our third son, he was, it was the worst for him. He would write little messages, uh, like really short ones, about like how much he loathed handwriting. I, I wish he had like actually <laughs> practiced writing what he was supposed to write. But anyways, it was writing anyway, so I guess it was a victory. But um, so I decided to go ahead and set aside print handwriting and switch to cursive. And within just a few weeks, he was no longer complaining and he was doing his work. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. So once I did that, then we had one more son coming up that I was able to try it from the very beginning. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. And so, uh, and he he is in second grade now. And so it was really slow starting. We, we worked a lot with uh, large motor skills, like using the full body to do the motions for cursive letters and that type of thing. And, uh, and then we used um, laminated cards for him to practice until he got his fine motor strength up. But in, now that he's in second grade, he's writing at the same level in cursive as his older brother was in fifth and sixth grade. So it's like that gap shifted so quickly. Once he got to that certain point when he was ready, cursive helped him so much. He doesn't have problems. See, some of the problems that we had encountered was like capitalizing letters in the middle of words, writing all over the page with no consistent spacing. Some words were crammed together to make it look like it was one word, and some words were separate the letters were separated so it looked like different words. All that happened with print handwriting, but when we moved to cursive, it was no longer a problem because it all connects and when you're done with the word, you just go over a space and you start another one. 
And so it was just really interesting. And then reversing B's and D's and P's and Q's yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It just, um, it just really simplified things, but it was very surprising because I did not expect that outcome. Sounds like your experience is a little bit like mine. I sometimes think God gave me the children he gave me simply so that I could learn stuff from them and then teach that to other parents. Right. <laughs> and and uh, each each one of them, my children, because I'm a more public figure, I think, you know, they <laughs> suffer the fact that I tell stories about them to the whole world. But yeah. anyway, we're almost out of time. You wanted to mention which IEW products you have found most beneficial? Yes, I would say teaching writing structure and style is really great for a parent who wants to learn how to teach writing to, to their children. It will go a long way in helping you get there. And once you've done something like that, then it's very easy to move into uh, theme-based writing lessons. And so we have used so many of those mostly the history-based writing lessons, but we use like classical rhetoric structure and style at high school level and those types of things, which we were able to correlate those with our Mission Great Commission curriculum. So using mm, modern world history-based writing lessons when we're studying mar modern world history in um, mission in, in our the one that's called Mission Faith Forgers, for example. So each one of them has something that aligns with the history that's in that particular program. I would love to at some point be able to write something like missionaries and martyrs based writing lessons. Oh, that would be <laughs> so fantastic. Yeah. I would it, love it wouldn't that. Have, wouldn't have quite as wide of an audience, but I think for those who are attracted to it, it would be really a blessing. So it would. We'll keep that on the back burner. Yes. Yeah, put it on the front burner. <laughs> <laughs> but, we got too many other things on our front burner. I know. Right I'm now. just teasing. Um, and I will say that uh, we tried out the structure and style for students this year with our seventh grader, which was nice. I mean, he's been through fables and fairy tales and um, American history-based writing lessons. He is seventh grade now. So I decided to use level B with him uh, just to give us kind of a break. Like, it's kind of nice to have you as this teacher, I'll tell you. Um, and so <laughs> it's been neat because he's been able to learn some organization skills and so some things that are beyond just the writing. And, um, and his favorite lesson, I think of all time, is Mike the Headless Chicken. So, uh, <laughs> and he ended up, he's in 4-H, and he ended up giving a speech about Ma Mike the Headless Chicken. <laughs> and he ended up making his 4-H poster on it. And it was like, I think this whole year is going to be about that. So anyways, it's just kind of amusing. But um, And so I, I think that's really great for parents who are like, well, maybe... Um, I don't want to be in the driver's seat. Maybe I want to sit in the passenger seat and learn alongside my child. Well, that's what I feel like structure and style for students does. It's mm, video-based, and, and it's just really laid out really well. And then whenever they get into high school level, I feel like for literary analysis, Windows to the World has been most excellent. And advanced, at the high school level as well, advanced U.S. history-based writing lessons was surprising to me because we had used the lower level and I thought, uh, maybe we don't want to do this. But when we did that, I mean, wow. Uh, once they have been through that program, I feel like they could write about anything, any prompt they ever have. I feel like in timed essays and, 
and um, university application type essays and all that kind of stuff. It's just really a great program. So I have lots of recommendations. And if uh, people want to read our detailed reviews, it's on our website. So you can just go to the curriculum reviews on our website um, and you can find out more about what we truly recommend and why. Yes, Brandy, where, where do we send our listeners to learn more about you and what you are passionate about? Okay, it's halfahundredacrewood.com, and so it is. I'm gonna no hyphens or anything. No just hyphens all... or anything. And if you do a search for it, uh, you know, even if you're not quite there, it'll take you to it. So, okay. But it is ha- the half word half and then a and then hundred acre wood. It's really long. Um, in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best thing, but uh, it, you should be able to find it just by doing a search, That's even if it's not quite there. Yeah, so. sometimes long is okay if it's memorable. So There you go. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all that with us. And I don't uh, see any trip to Tennessee on my schedule anytime at all. But <laughs> I hope that I will someday get a chance to, to meet you. Yes, that would be excellent. Our boys love your jokes. Enjoy oh, that's it so great. Much. Yep. Well, God bless you and keep up your good work. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Brandy. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.